You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Michael Howell. He's the co-founder of the Sleep Performance Institute. So, Mike, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me, Rich. Yeah, tell me, um, what was the basis behind uh, founding the Sleep Performance Institute? What motivated you? Well, I've been practicing sleep medicine for a lot of years and realized that there's not enough of me or my colleagues to go around to take care of everybody who needs uh, help sleeping. Uh, poor sleep is pervasive in our culture. Sleep is thought of as uh, being disposable, dispensable, I should say, but uh, it has consequences. Uh, hmm. Consequences range from uh, motor vehicle accidents to breast cancer. And I think most people realize this. They realize that they they would like to sleep better, but oftentimes they would never they would never uh, consider their sleep challenges serious enough to see a sleep doctor, uh, and all they need is a little bit of uh, wisdom, knowledge transfer to kind of understand what is the nature of their sleep challenges and how to fix it. Yeah, I think it's hard because society has all these, um, I don't know, things that they teach you or they put at you. You know, like if you get up late and you go to bed late, you know, you're a bad person. It's better right. the early bird gets the worm, you know, or if... Uh, I don't know, you're not sleeping well, then uh, you're a sissy or something, you know, if you if you, if you you needed a lot of sleep. I mean, I think all those things play into people uh, maybe not taking sleep as seriously as they should. You know, it's yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, one exception to that are athletes, professional athletes, Olympic athletes have for a long time have recognized the value of sleep um, and uh, consider it as important as physical training and nutrition. Um, uh, just a couple of examples, uh, Tom Brady, who just won his, uh, record setting six Super Bowl values sleep greatly. LeBron James, uh, values sleep greatly. Uh, and in many ways they consider sleep the extra edge that has, you know, prolonged their careers for, uh, much of their, uh, much of their, um, much of their career. So do you work with people that just are having problems sleeping or do you work with athletes and people that want to get like amazing sleep, optimized sleep? Well, what the Sleep Performance Institute does is it helps organizations. Uh, so if you have uh, a law firm, an accounting firm, a corporation, uh, you're more likely than not, you, your employees are not sleeping well, and 
that is having a consequences on on your uh, organization's performance, and uh, it clearly applies uh, for athletic teams. Uh, so we we give um, uh, we we uh, do consulting services and sleep training uh, for um, uh, for athletes and non-athletes alike. So when you say a lot of people uh, are not sleeping. I don't know the word you used, well or good enough or anything. I mean, how bad is the average person's sleep and what makes it bad? And, you know, maybe give a few details on the average. Sure, sure. Well, you know, so the there's a reason why there's a coffee shop on every corner in the industrialized world. And it's not because everybody loves the taste. It's their self-medicating. Caffeine is the most commonly uh, uh, consumed drug on the planet. And um, this is because, in large part, uh, our sleep isn't very good. Uh, they, people go to bed late. They wake up early. The light they're exposed to uh, manipulates their body's 24-hour clock. That's their circadian rhythm. And so when they lay down and go to bed, they have trouble falling asleep. And then when they get up in the morning, they have trouble waking up in the morning because they could sleep a lot longer. This mistiming of sleep uh, is as important as not getting enough meaning they're just trying to do it outside of their natural window. Uh, in addition to that, uh, 75% of people describe some sort of sleep complaint. That could be insomnia, sleep apnea. It could just be a bed partner who snores. It could be a new baby at home who's that's keeping them awake. Um, there's there's all sorts of various sleep challenges. And what about um, chronotypes? Do you believe there are chronotypes? And you know how extreme have you seen them be where it's still healthy? Right, yeah. So chronotype uh, indicates what what is your your natural circadian rhythm, and absolutely, um, people vary in terms of their uh, their body's natural circadian rhythm on when they would most like to fall asleep and when they would most like to wake up. Um, think about. I I always try to think, take it back to how we evolved. We evolved uh, as uh, early primates uh, in Africa, with the sun coming up and the sun going down. Uh, pre-industrialized cultures, we used to uh, we used to naturally get sunlight first thing in the morning, which would help reset our circadian rhythm. Uh, but even under that fairly consistent light schedule, uh, we had quite a bit of variability. It would make sense that in our tribe, there would be some people who would go to bed early. There'd be some people who go to bed late. A lot of us would be awake in the middle of the night, watching out after each other, uh, and that's okay. I mean, it's 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 okay that some of us are early to bed and early to rise and other people um you know would love to go to bed after midnight and sleep in until noon um and uh, the only challenge comes in is when that when that natural chronotype uh butts into school schedules work schedules uh social schedules and interferes with your abilities uh, with your body's ability to get good natural healthy sleep i mean but does anyone have a chronotype where they are fine to sleep all day and and wake up and be up at night or is it, you know, at some point I would think that regardless of your chronotype, you're going to run into some, you know, physiological problems, like people that work overnight shifts, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, well, if, if, if individuals were allowed to sleep in their natural chronotype, um, they would by and large be fine. The problem is, is that that's almost impossible. Even, even for someone who is naturally a night owl who works overnight shifts, uh, it it is extremely challenging because the whole world works uh, during the day. I mean, if they want to go to a doctor's appointment or take their kids, you know, to you know, 
join their uh, kids' uh, parent-teacher conference. Almost all of those happen during conventional hours, which means they have to be awake when their body really wants them to be sleeping. The other piece of it is, is that working overnights is incredibly socially isolating. Um, it's, it's often described as you're just living in a parallel universe with your family, friends, roommates, and loved ones. Um, because even though you're right there next to each other, uh, you're on such a different schedule and clock, um, uh, it can be uh, depressing and isolating. And Well, from what I've heard, people working the overnight uh, tend to have a lot of health problems. Is that because, uh, you know, that's not their yep. chronotype? Or is it simply staying up, you know, all night and sleeping all day just because of the light effects? Right. So, I don't know. So, so if you look at right, yeah. So, the, so you're just to go back a little bit to the research. You're absolutely right. So, if you take a look, at the, some of the best data has been in the nurses' health study, which has taken care of uh, nurses who often have to work rotating uh, overnight shifts. And so, in in a group of individuals who work overnight shifts, we know that they have all sorts of various. Um, uh, health consequences are at, at higher risk of, of various poor health outcomes, such as uh, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, early mortality, uh, mood disorders, anxiety disorders, substance abuse, and suicide. So, I mean, those are that's you know that's kind of hitting almost uh, that's hitting almost everything. Um, in that group, you have some people uh, who uh, are naturally night owls. And this fits their body rhythm quite well. And if the rest of their life would allow them uh, to uh, sleep from the morning hours well into the afternoon, they probably would be fine. And I really doubt they would suffer um, long-term adverse health consequences. The problem is for those individuals, uh, the rest of life usually does intrude. The flip side of the coin are the individuals who are not naturally night owls, but have to be for professional reasons. And this is, you know, when you're a, when you're a junior nurse, a junior doctor, junior police officer, firefighter, uh, you get all of the you get all of the hard shifts that nobody else wants. And usually that means you end up doing you end up doing overnight work, or uh, you are just suffering financially. And as it turns out, working overnights there's usually a premium, and so usually whether or not it's uh, driving a bus or working in a factory overnight, usually there's a little extra money in it for you, uh, which means that a lot of people are just financially stuck and they have to work overnights because it's the only way they can try to get by. Um, and for those individuals, it's a real disaster because they're now constantly fighting their body's natural rhythm. They're trying to get back into a, quote, normal rhythm on the weekends, which is just long enough uh, to essentially reset their clock back to zero, so they have to start all over again once they start their work week again. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, I have a question. I guess it's kind of an unusual question. Have you studied what happens to the cells of your body when you sleep, or has anyone studied it? You know, like from what I've heard, the brain cells will shrink, allowing the you know the cerebral spinal fluid to move around more freely and yeah. clear out debris, but you know, what about your skin cells? What about your organs and every other part of you? Do you, do you know what happens to 
the other parts of the body when you sleep and is it important? Sure. I mean, the, the, you, you very nicely described the idea that it is during sleep that we have glymphatic clearance, meaning the brain clears out toxins. A lot of other very uh, interesting things happen. Uh, I'll just focus on the brain for a second, and then I'll get to the, uh, the rest of the body. Uh, the brain cells also prune down uh, connections which are not important. So as you go about your daily life, you're making all sorts of connections that are, for the most part, meaningless. For example, what you had for breakfast this morning. Uh, you may know about it. You may remember it now, but I bet you if I talked to you two weeks from now, you couldn't remember what you had for breakfast this morning. And that's just an example of a connection in the brain that's there right now that's going to be pruned away, and it gets pruned away when we're in slow-wave sleep, non-REM slow-wave sleep. During REM sleep, we have an amplification of emotionally salient memories. And what that means is is that when you uh, have experienced something that has an emotional intensity to it, whether or not it's joy or humiliation or anger, uh, you're very likely to, you're far more likely to remember that experience because uh, emotions are your brain's way of saying, look, buddy, this is important. You need to remember this. And it is during REM sleep that your brain goes to those memories and replays them, which is why our dreams are often so full of intense emotional content. Uh, the rest of the the rest of the bra- the the body is absolutely um, uh, receiving great benefits uh, from a good night of sleep. A, a reasonable way to think about it is that um, every cell that is exposed uh, to the sun goes through a natural circadian rhythm. So everything from uh, everything from your liver cells to um, uh, to uh, to uh, brewer's yeast uh, goes through a circadian rhythm in terms of metabolism. Different proteins will be turned on at different times of the day. Um, this is this is uh, this occurs in every cell in your body. Uh, it's run by a master circadian rhythm switch in your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, um, which just tells all of your uh, brain cells what time of the day it is. Um, and we know that this is clinically relevant because if you give uh, someone uh, a medication, for example, a cholesterol medication, an anti-cholesterol medication, if you uh, uh, take it at one time of the day, it works really well. If you take it at a different time of the day, it doesn't work well. And this has to do with how your liver metabolizes it and how the different tissues respond to it. Um, your, uh, Your cardiac myocytes are recharged during sleep. So there's a there's, uh, rest is extremely important for your heart, even though it clearly keeps beating throughout the course of the night. Um, your gut tends to slow down, uh, which is, of course, why we shouldn't be having bowel movements in the middle of the night. Uh, in general, our, our kidneys um, are, have uh, anti-diuretic prop- phenomena happen at night, so you're less likely to cre- you're still your kidneys are still creating urine, but it's just not creating it. Ne- it shouldn't be creating it nearly as much as it does during the day. So then we don't have, shouldn't have to wake up and go to the bathroom nearly so often. Um, and so if, if, the more you look, the more you realize that that every tissue type in the body is is changing over the course of the night. Okay, well, that's good to know. Uh, yeah, I've, I've also heard um, uh, you know oh, uh, cortisol you know peaks in the morning and this mm-hmm. hormone does this and that. You know what happens if you don't sleep the assumed normal hours? You know what happens if you go to bed at four a.m. and get up at noon? What happens to your hormone levels? Do they just well, shift one, forward in time or are they stuck? 
Well, so one of the most important things that happens during sleep is you have a, a normal growth hormone secretion. So uh, growth hormone is critically important, obviously, during development in kids. And if anybody who's ever had a child and you wake them up in the morning and you say, my goodness, this kid just grew last night, that's because they did. Uh, that's, when, uh, that's when growth hormone is secreted. That's when um, uh, their bones get longer, their muscles get bigger. Uh, and as we get older, obviously, our, uh, we're not getting, we shouldn't be getting any taller, uh, but we still have natural growth hormone uh, secretion, which is good for our own muscles, uh, muscle tone, uh, glucose metabolism. Uh, and if you don't sleep, you're not getting growth hormone. Now, cortisol uh, is uh, secreted at pretty much the same time of day, uh, about 4 to 5 in the morning for most people with with a normal chronotype, um, and so even even in, in experiments where the people are sleep deprived, they still have a cortisol surge. Uh, that's the stress hormone, uh, and that's secreted usually about four to five o'clock in the morning. And that's probably why, uh, for over a century, we've known that mortality is highest in the morning. This is when people are most likely to die of uh, cardiovascular disease, heart attack, cardiac arrhythmias. Um, and they're most likely to have strokes, usually in the morning. Oh, interesting. Um, so in your Sleep Performance Institute, what, what are some of like, the low-hanging fruit that you use to help people sleep better, and then what are some of the more advanced strategies? Sure. Well, so first of all, is what I've, what I've realized over years of, of practicing sleep medicine is, is the piece that is almost always missed when it comes to helping somebody sleep better, is their circadian rhythm. And I really appreciate, Rich, that you, we started this conversation talking about chronotype uh, because it's often something that people haven't thought about very much in terms of what is their body's natural circadian rhythm and when would their body most like to naturally be sleeping. People just assume, well, I got a job working at a bank at 7 o'clock in the morning, and so I'm going to go to bed uh, at 10, and I'm going to wake up, up at 5.30, and I'll just do that every day for five years, and I'll be fine. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You, it doesn't, you don't change your circadian rhythm um, by just going to bed at a certain time and waking up. It requires uh, some degree of intention in terms of recognizing, uh, first of all, when your body naturally would start uh, fall, getting sleepy at night, when it would naturally start waking up, uh, and then you need to combine that with uh, circadian realignment strategies, uh, such as bright light in the morning uh, and the use of melatonin uh, uh, at bed uh, in the evening. Uh, melatonin is commonly uh, misperceived as a sleeping pill. It isn't. It is a circadian cue of darkness. So if you are a naturally a, a night owl and would like to f fall asleep earlier, taking a small amount of melatonin usually less than a milligram, several hours before you would like to go to bed is an awfully good strategy. If you are not a night owl, if you just have uh, other challenges with insomnia, um, melatonin is not going to be a good long-term strategy for you. So what we start with, with, with everyone is first getting them to recognize what their intrinsic chronotype is. And this is often a really challenging question. Um, people are, there's all sorts of reasons why people can mask what their natural chronotype is. Sometimes they're on medications that are sedating. And so that sedation that they take in the evening, they believe is, is their body naturally getting sleepy when in fact it's uh, one of their several medications they're on. 
they they are unaware of how naturally sleepy they are in the morning because they're drinking so much coffee or taking some sort of other stimulant. Um, they have other underlying sleep problems, whether or not that's sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome. Maybe they have sleepwalking. Maybe they have dream enactment. Uh, these other these other sleep challenges can get in the way of them understanding what their natural circadian rhythm is. So the first step is to try to figure out what your natural circadian rhythm is. Uh, try to recognize how aligned it is with what you're trying to do. So um, our, our ultimate goal is to let you fall asleep naturally when you want to and then wake up without an alarm clock, and you couldn't sleep any longer even if we paid you to. Um, and if you, if you look at the really great sleepers, professional athletes, Olympic athletes who value this greatly, that's where they're at. They'll wake up at 8, 9 in the morning, whatever time it would be, and then you could go in and say, look, here's $10,000. Can you sleep 10 more minutes for $10,000? And if uh. the answer is no, uh, then, they, then, they've, then they've reached kind of their peak natural um, uh, sleep schedule. And then you ask about kind of other kind of advanced strategies. Well, you got to go. You, you anybody can have uh, sleep. You know, an, an, uh, another sleep problem. Uh, restless legs is common somewhere between 10 to 20 percent of the population. Um, sleep apnea. The average person walking around over the age of 40 has a little bit of sleep apnea, um, which does not necessarily mean that everybody needs to have a CPAP machine. Uh, but it is huh. worthwhile to recognize that they may have. Uh, they may have some breathing issues at night that are interfering with their ability to get a good restful night of sleep. Uh, napping strategies, don't forget that human beings are naturally good nappers. Um, if, if, left, uh, if, if sleeping under natural conditions um, uh, in nature uh, without a stimulant, uh, people will naturally feel quite sleepy, usually in the mid-afternoon. And if, if, if your job depends, if your career and your profession depends upon you functioning at your absolute peak at 7 o'clock in the evening, a la uh, NHL hockey players or Major League Baseball players or who, what have you, uh, it's an awfully good idea to become a good napper. And becoming a good napper takes practice. A lot of people we talk to say, you know, I've I've taken naps before, and I wake up feeling worse than when I started. So I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. Well, that's that's well, here, because here's my uh, yeah. Here's, yeah. Here's my question for napping. Here's the big difficulty yeah. I have. So uh, <laughs> take a take a 20 minute nap, right? Well, yep. what if it takes me 15 minutes to fall asleep? So how do you? I, I would think there should be a device that would monitor you, like a specific napping app or something. That would yep. monitor you when you fall asleep, then it starts the 20 minute timer. Because how can I nap 15 or 20 minutes when I don't know how long it'll take me to fall asleep? No, that's right. That's right. So, what the, the, the best answer is that, it is, is, is that the, the technology out there does exist. It's, it's, it's quite unwieldy to actually you know, hook people up to wires to actually be able to look at their brainwaves while they're sleeping. Uh, they are, uh, there are groups that are working on coming up with less cumbersome ways of doing it. Uh, a Fitbit at this point really won't do it, or you know, a Fitbit-like device uh, won't be able to give you that information. But here's, here's, what, I would, here's what I tell people um, who are struggling with napping or who've had an experience where it didn't work particularly well, is that 
you know, it it takes practice. Nobody, nobody, uh, nobody, um, nobody. All of a sudden, started get doing uh, a little bit of exercise and physical fitness and got it right away. You need to, you need to one recognize what your body's uh, chronotype for napping is, uh, and everybody's a little bit different. Some people would naturally feel sleepy at about one in the afternoon. Some people would be four in the afternoon. Some people would be uh, eleven o'clock in the morning and you first need to find out what that naturally is once you've identified what that is then it's just routine and consistency um, laying down uh, or sitting down in a in a recumbent manner and closing your eyes and just taking a little bit of practice at it and if it's it's in general about a 20 minute nap you don't want to go much longer than that once you're asleep but it may take you 40 minutes as you described rich uh, to fall asleep and then get 20 minutes, uh, to, to, to ultimately fall asleep and then get 20 minutes of sleep. Um, once you once you go past 20 minutes, um, then you're, what's happening is your brain is, is assuming that it gets to sleep for an entire sleep cycle, which is lasts usually about 90 minutes. And so now your brain is really starting to go down into a deep state of sleep. And so if somebody wakes you up 40 minutes into this, uh, you're not. You might not know what planet you're on for a, you know for an hour or so until your brain ultimately wakes up. So it it takes first understanding what your natural timing of napping is. Then it takes practice. One strategy uh, which can be very useful is use your body's natural uh, drop in body temperature as a little alarm clock. Um, so one of the first thing that happens when you fall asleep is your core body temperature drops by a half a degree centigrade. Um, interestingly, when you go, when you go into REM sleep about an hour or so later, um, our body ceases to create its own, uh, internal temperature. We become, we become ectothermic. We become dependent upon the ambient temperature, AKA cold blooded. Um, and this happens, uh, for about 20 to 30 minutes or so during periods of, of REM sleep. This is, uh, interest, this is interestingly, this is what, in case you ever wondered, uh, this drop in body temperature is the reason why we sleep underneath blankets. And every, and every, mam, every terrestrial mammal does this. They uh, either snuggle up with each other or they burrow or, they, uh, or birds, obviously not mammals, they, they nest. Uh, the, only, the only mammals who don't do it uh, appear to be cetaceans, which, is, which are dolphins, um, which, um, uh, which don't have, uh, any REM, they, their REM sleep is, uh, suppressed, uh, and they will continuously sleep, uh, one half of their brain at a time. Anyway, so I got, sorry about getting a little bit aside, but back to the, back to the napping, back to the napping strategy is, so if you, if you just, then this is what I do personally in the afternoon, I'll just, I'll just close my eyes, uh, when I can, usually about one o'clock in the afternoon, I'll close my eyes, uh, turn, turn the lights off in my office. Uh, I don't lay down completely, but I just kind of uh, lay back in my chair. Uh, I don't cover myself up with a coat or any other blanket, and I just uh, close my eyes until I doze off, uh, and then my drop in body temperature will actually wake me up So because I'll, I'll get chilly. And if any of you have ever uh, closed your eyes and you weren't quite sure whether or not you fell asleep, but you woke up and you were chilly, you fell asleep. That's the that's part of stage one sleep. One of the first things that happens is your body temperature drops. And so by just well, you know so, rec yeah. So so what would yeah, I have a burning idea in my head. So what would happen if um, you had a system where you know someone's sleeping and every time they go into that REM 
you know, cold period, um, I don't know, the bed heats them up or the room warms up to take them <laughs> through that cycle. What do you, I don't know, what do you guess would happen to somebody? Would they sleep better or worse? Or? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, you, that's, that, of course, is the reason why we have blankets, so that, the, the, that our, our body temperature doesn't drop so much that, we, uh, that we're not able to maintain homeostasis. Um, a lot of, just as a as an aside, um, a lot of artists, uh, creative types, love napping uh, because because a little bit of sleep can just put a lot of good perspective on things. It just prunes off those unnecessary connections a little bit. You can start to see the signal through the noise a little bit more. Um, if you are uh, working on a you know anything from a math problem to trying to learn French. Uh, taking a little bit of nap or a little bit of sleep can just put this all into perspective for you a little bit. Uh, there's a great uh, example, Salvador Dali, the, uh, 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 the surreal, uh, surrealism uh, uh, artist, used to, um, used, to, used to sleep in a chair and he would, hold a, he would hold a coin or a key in his fingers. And so as soon as he would fall asleep, he'd drop the key and it would land on the floor and it would wake him up. And then he would take whatever was in his head, and he would start sketching it out. It was one of the one of the ways he was able to kind of master surrealism um, with, his, cool. uh, with his with uh, his dream mentation. Yeah. So um, going back to sleeping, and I asked you what some of the low hanging fruit are. Like you know what I what I didn't hear is like blackout curtains, you know, magnesium, uh, white noise. A cool yeah. room, a comfortable pillow, a comfortable mattress. You know, I guess they call it setting. You know, set and setting. Yeah. Um, you know, then there's the mental part, then there's the physical part. Uh, so what? Again, well, what would you I, think are a handful of things that would help people that are having problems sleeping? Right. Well, usually, and 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 from from my perspective, usually most people by the time they come to see me, they've kind of tried a lot of these things already. But but you're right. One should not dismiss the importance of setting the right environment. And the right environment, the three keys are light, noise, and temperature. And so, yeah, you want it dark. Obviously, you want screens out of the bedroom. Um, noise, white noise is fine if you find that comfortable. Some people find it irritating. The main thing is you just don't want sudden blasts of noise. You don't want cell phones going off. You don't want somebody shouting outside the bedroom. And then temperature is an interesting one because we're starting to just starting to recognize more that actually a drop in temperature in the evening uh, can help promote sleep. And this makes a lot of sense. Again, imagine you're out sleeping in nature. What's one of the things that happens after the sun goes down is the temperature drops a little bit. And it just kind of gives a cue to your body uh, that it's, that it's get, getting ready for time to start going to sleep. All right. So what are some of the more advanced strategies that you need to implement to help people? Well, I mean, so it's and the, the advanced issues are just to recognize what are the other underlying sleep challenges that they may, may be having. A lot of people are restless, um, so they are they're fairly they're fairly convinced that they just have regular old insomnia. But once you do a deep dive into it, what the, and you ask them, you know, you explore with them what are your challenges sleeping. They say, well, I'm uncomfortable. I can never. I have to roll around. I have to get up and walk around. I try to avoid using the term restless leg syndrome because I think that's too narrow. 
Other people will describe other forms of restlessness where they need to get up and eat. People who are cigarette smokers will often need to get up and smoke if they have this condition. It's often due to a deficient. Yeah, yeah. It's and in fact, it's it's interesting because you know what you know. Arguably, the the greatest public health success story in the last half century is we've taken adult smoking. Uh, from about a 40% prevalence in the United States down to about 15%. Great success story, many lives saved. Uh, But ask yourself the question, what is with those final 15%? It's not like they haven't gotten the news that smoking is bad for them and it's going to kill them. It's that there's something different going on in their brain. And from our experience, uh, many, many, many of them have restlessness. And what happens is they can... They can use the nicotine gum, and they can avoid smoking all day long, but when they go to bed, they are not able to fall asleep until they have a cigarette. And I don't care who you are, good luck trying to quit smoking if you are not able to fall asleep without having a cigarette. It's just, it's just not going to happen unless you recognize that there is, there is a restlessness component to this. And usually this means there's a deficiency of the neurotransmitter dopamine in the brain, um, which is, in, is the, a rate-limiting step in the creation of dopamine uh, is an enzyme called tyrosine hydroxylase. A, cri- a critical cofactor in that is iron. So if you are iron deficient in your brain, uh, you will not create enough dopamine, and this can often lead to quite a bit of restlessness. This is one of the reasons why otherwise healthy young premenopausal women uh, who are iron deficient from uh, menstrual blood loss have so much restless leg uh, uh, symptoms interfering with their ability to fall asleep. And so in addition to having to get up and walk around, they'll say, I just need this overwhelming urge. I need to get up and eat something. Or, or they or they need to get up and do something else. That is a different animal than somebody who's struggling with a chronotype that doesn't match up particularly well. Uh, and that needs to be addressed. Um, ideally, it would be just addressed with um, iron replacement, but it's actually challenging replacing iron just orally. Sometimes it needs iron infusions. Um, and then uh, considering how common sleep apnea is, Sleep apnea is the collapse of the upper airway during sleep. It's more common in men until women go through menopause, and then the the incidence of sleep apnea is awfully similar between men and women after menopause. Um, And if you're not breathing well at night, clearly you're not going to wake up and you're not going to be well-rested. Conventionally, the strategy for treating obstructive sleep apnea has been CPAP, which is a mask that goes over the nose. It blows room air, no added oxygen, and just acts as a pneumatic splint to keep the airway open, which is great when it when people are able to use it. I mean, about 95% of the time, it'll solve the sleep apnea, but only about 50% of the time people are able to tolerate it. What's the reason why? Well, the people have some people have claustrophobia. They don't like the, the way it feels on your face. Um, I mean, there's there's all sorts of various reasons. Sometimes we can help people get through them. Sometimes we can't. But it's important to realize that there are other treatment options besides CPAP. Um, in particular, there are, there are dental appliances that look a lot like athletic mouth guards that people just wear at night. That's an awfully good treatment for obstructive sleep apnea. Um, sometimes it's just uh, sleeping on your side propping yourself up at night. There are surgeries that are useful for sleep apnea, uh, those sorts of things. So if someone has a problem with their sleep, and it sounds like there's myriad, myriad potential things that could be going on, what do they do? Should they 
I guess, try, you know, quote unquote, home remedies and basic things and then eventually go for a sleep study or go sleep, see a sleep doctor? I mean, what's the, the path people tend to take? Well, I mean, you- well, people people try all sorts of things. As the, the 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 guiding principle should be for anyone, and I don't care uh, whether or not that's someone who just listens uh, to us on a podcast, uh, whether or not they uh, use our mobile application, whether or not they hear us talk or they see me in clinic. The found, the the most important thing is to first understand the reason why you're trying why you're struggling with sleep and the answer and and I would ask everybody just to give give us about 30 minutes uh to kind of with an open mind to consider all options because most people kind of assume they understand the reason why they can't fall asleep but maybe it's a chronotype issue that they didn't realize maybe they're restless and they didn't realize maybe there's a little bit of breathing issue that they didn't know about the the most more important than doing anything is first understanding what the reason is that you're struggling with sleep. And as a general principle, the the first place to start the foundation for healthy sleep is a healthy circadian rhythm. And so that's we 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 nearly universally always start right there. What, any techniques for figuring out what your circadian rhythm should be? I mean, like test sleeping and waking at different times. I mean, how would you figure well, this out? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a, there's, uh, there are melatonin assays that people can take at different times of the day. Um, they tend to be fairly labor intensive. Most people can figure out what their natural circadian rhythm is with the following scenario, which is we refer to it as the Hawaii scenario or the Tahiti scenario. Whatever it is, Rich, is what I would say is if imagine that I gave you a winning lottery ticket and I sent you away and the only the only catch was is I had to send you away to Hawaii or some other paradise for 90 days and everything in your life that you're normally worried about is taken care of the kids are taken care of work is taken care of uh you know everything and the only thing I asked you to do is is just uh, avoid caffeine, avoid alcohol, and just fall asleep when you naturally felt like it and wake up when you're done. And that means, and don't tell me this, and we often need to clarify, don't tell me what you want your natural sleep rhythm to be, Rich. Tell me what it is. So if the whole world would let you, uh, you know, go to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and then wake up at 10, is that what it would be? Or maybe some people are the opposite. Some people, if the whole world would let them, they'd go to bed earlier at 7 and they'd wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and, then you, and then you need to tease out, like, are they on any sedating medications? Are they on, what, how, much, how much does alcohol play a role here? How does caffeine and stimulants play a role? But most people, most people are able to get a pretty good handle on once once they kind of look at it that way, oh yeah, I'd probably fall asleep at this time and I'd wake up at this time and then I'd nap there. And so if you're the kind of person out there who is on a sleeping pill of some sort or another, and I don't care if it's a per, if it's a sleeping pill prescription like like a Zolpidem, which is Ambien, uh, or if you're on a sedating antidepressant such as mirtazapine, which is Remeron, or if you're taking an over-the-counter agent, or if you're taking an herbal supplement to help you sleep. I don't care what it is, but if that describes you at all, and when that alarm clock goes off in the morning and you could sleep a heck of a lot longer, an hour, two hours longer, your problem 
your first item, to t- your f- first issue on the agenda is to realign your circadian rhythm because your brain is clearly capable of sleeping. It's just trying to do it at the wrong time. So one, one way to say is like, let's take that sleepiness you feel in the morning and let's pay it forward so that you naturally start getting sleepier in the evening. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Um, you mentioned an app as you were talking. So what's, I mean, I don't want to call it your bag of tricks, but <laughs> what's in your arsenal to help people when they come to you specifically? Well, I mean, this is, and this is for the Sleep Performance Institute. We're, we're developing a web-based application, which actually can help people better understand their, their natural circadian rhythm. So there's, there's um, a thought experiments, kind of like what we described, what we just described. But in addition to that, uh, a mobile application can actually, uh, especially if it's combined with uh, a wrist-based device like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, can actually help maybe help you better understand your circadian rhythm than you do. Um, on every, anything from, you know, what time are you on your phone? What time do you turn it on in the morning? Um, uh, what time are you? And then uh, another important piece of it, which we haven't talked about, which is in addition to your sleep having a natural 24-hour rhythm, your appetite does as well. So when you, one, of the, one of the signs of healthy sleep is after you wake up in the morning, if you put food in your stomach, it should feel normal. You should actually start feeling hungry within an hour or so of waking up in the morning. And if you're not, that actually means that your gut hasn't woken up yet. Oh, so if you're, if you're someone that says, oh, I never eat breakfast, then yep. you do eat breakfast, you feel like, well, you know, that's because your stomach hasn't woken up. That's exactly that. That is often exactly the case. So that same person uh, who says they never eat breakfast often uh, is up late, has a horrible time waking up in the morning, and it often has other consequences from that, including weight gain. They're not able to exercise uh, effectively, and they're struggling in other aspects of their life as well. Well, it sounds like there's a rhythm. I mean, there's nothing, no news to anybody, but I guess it's a good refresher. It sounds like there's a rhythm to everything. And if you respect your rhythms and what feels right to you, sleep will be better, eating will be better, everything. If you don't and you try to just push past it, you know, you're it's gonna cascade into all sorts of other problems. I, I think that's I think that's right on, Rich. Just we human beings are not computers. You cannot just put us into sleep mode uh because that is the time when it's most convenient to us. Our bodies have rhythms and they are they are linked in with nature. And the more we fight back against it, the more problems it causes. Okay, makes sense. So, um, you know, I know you can't help everybody, but for the people <laughs> that are within your sphere, you know, where are you located and how can they find out more from you? And then if uh, you can't specifically help them, what resources do you have to help them? Sure. So um, I, uh, the, the company is the uh, Sleep Performance Institute. We work with uh, organizations uh, anything from uh, uh, corporations, uh, municipalities, uh, teachers' unions to sport, uh, professional sports teams. Uh, we're based out of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, but we're developing a web-based uh, platform that uh, will can reach out to any anyone in the English-speaking world, and then ultimately we'd like to make this uh, multilingual. Uh, and the best place to find us is just on our website, uh, sleepperformanceinstitute.com. Okay, very good. Well, I know we could uh, we could talk about a lot more, but we're out of time, and I think we got some really good info in. So I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Well, thank you much, Rich. Uh, I wish you the best and sleep well. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> if 
You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.